Okay, LLC. Good morning. I, I'm glad that we can join in together again uh, on this uh, Sunday, even though it's virtual. And to be honest with you, uh, this isn't something new. I guess it's been four months of, of us doing the hybrid, uh, but now uh, all of us get to get the privilege to join in with our online community and to see each other's faces. So I'm very excited uh, to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, and honestly, like since Thursday with the whole announcement of churches, uh, we're not able to gather on Sundays together physically anymore for the next two weeks and probably uh, beyond uh, till the end of the year. Uh, when I heard of that, I was like, well, okay, well, we'll just go back to what we were doing, but we're not really changing anything because there've been so many brothers and sisters in Christ that have been working so hard in the background that have been supporting us in the virtual realm of things that has been running that we have this platform going already. So uh, shout out to the welcome team, uh, to our AV team, uh, to everyone that's adapted and, and responded so quickly uh, this week, in the last couple of days, just to get this uh, up and going. So um, I'm glad to be uh, preaching from my home. And this is actually the first time I'm preaching from my home since the flood uh, back in March. <laughs> so you get a little bit of a glimpse. Uh, no, doesn't look too different. But uh, yeah, so I'm glad to be in our home and to share with uh, God's word with us this morning. Um, so we are continuing on uh, in our sermon series uh, called The Letter to the Romans, uh, The Power of the Gospel. And I know last week, I think I had, I, I made a mistake in terms of saying how many sermons we have left. I meant we have two chapters left, not two weeks left. So with this week and then the next two weeks left, of for real now uh, next two weeks left uh, of Romans uh, so I'm speaking this week and then next week uh, is Pastor Bill Wong uh, from UGM and he's sharing uh, with us from a part of Romans uh, 16. Uh, so today we are in Romans uh, 15 uh, as Katie just beautifully read for us and we're going to continue learning the power of the gospel I'm going to learn about and see uh, the power of the gospel in Paul's life in terms of his ministry in terms of what he is called to and perhaps this morning uh, you would respond as well that you would experience God and also his calling in your life because I'm not sure if you know this but you I consider yourself a Christian you have a calling uh, even during COVID-19 where everything seems to be on hold you have a calling to live out uh, even though our ministries are on hold and many things are on hold uh, we are still uh, our faith isn't meant to be on hold uh, we're still called to live out our faith and to proclaim uh, the gospel I want to start off this morning by sharing a quick story uh, back all the way back in the 11th uh, century uh, by King Henry III of Bavaria. You're like, who is that? I was going to find a picture, but I couldn't find one that was very good of him. Uh, so anyway, so uh, King Henry III of Bavaria, he, he grew tired of his life, I guess, as king and, and the court and the pressures of being a monarch. Uh, so he made an application to a local monastery. And he asked whether he can be accepted uh, as a contemplative and spend the rest of his life in the monastery uh, with the monks and whatnot. And then uh, the local uh, monk there, the prior there, uh, he responded to him saying, your majesty, do you understand the pledge here is one of obedience? And that would be hard because you have been a king. So he was saying, do you understand what you're asking for? Because you have to obey uh, the laws of God, uh, the, the rules of God and obey and pledge allegiance to God. And uh, King Henry said, I understand in the rest of my life, I will be obedient to you as well in the monastery as Christ leads me. So this is how the prior uh, responds. Then I'll tell you what to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. 
So when King Henry died, a statement was written, the king learned to rule uh, by being obedient to God. And so today, as, as we think about our, our calling and we think about where God has placed us, uh, maybe we're tired of our roles. Uh, we're tired of our responsibilities. We're tired of the uh, phase of life that God has called you to right now, but helps us to remember that God has planted you where you are for a very specific reason in this very specific time. Uh, whether it's to be a good teacher, uh, to be a good accountant, uh, to be a good clerk, uh, to be a good worker in the hospital, uh, a good mother, a good father, whatever it might be, uh, Christ expects us to be faithful where he has put us. And I think our faithfulness in responding to God comes from understanding the calling that God has placed on us, which we will explore uh, a, a little bit more here. Uh, in the passage today here, I think Paul speaks that into the, the, the church in Rome, that he was saying that, hey, be faithful to what God has called you to be and where God is calling you to do. And he encourages uh, the church in Rome by saying this in verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Uh, Paul is confident uh, about these brothers and sisters in Christ. So in the last 15 chapters or so of everything that's written to them, he's actually confident that they already know this. Uh, that this is actually nothing new to them, that they already understand the gospel, that they already are living out the gospel in a way. And he says this, that you're full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct or to admonish or to correct. That's our understanding of that. Uh, as I read that, can, can we say that about ourselves? Like, I don't know if I, can, I feel comfortable this morning putting that on my resume, that I'm full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct. Uh, do you remember Romans 3, uh, how we're just full of sin and brokenness and we all fall, fall short of the glory of God and all of us are going our own way. Uh, yet Jesus came and saved us and, and we can turn away from our sin and have this new life with him. But we read Romans 3 and we think, well, we're anything but good, right? We're anything but filled with knowledge. We're anything but competent. Uh, but here's the truth though, like how are we to understand this is that, well, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're filled with the spirit of God, then we are full of goodness and we're full of knowledge. As it says in Galatians 5, to 23, what the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now for those of us that call ourselves Christians, uh, we have the power of the spirit. And so here Paul is saying, it's not that they are good or that they are uh, full of knowledge and, and competence that the Holy Spirit in them has empowered them to be this. Uh, to live out this faith, to live out this calling. calling, And I want to encourage us this morning that if you consider yourself a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you are a Christian, then you are a son and a daughter of God, even though you might not feel it, even though you might not experience it. Uh, and I want to remind us this morning that there is no such thing as a second tier Christian, that if you're a Christian, you're Christian, you're a son and daughter of God, uh, you're loved by the king, and, and you belong to him. There's no such thing as a second tier Christian. And this is true, that every Christian has a calling, that every Christian has a calling and pursuing the calling, this calling is the most important thing you can do. Some of you might be wondering, what is my calling? I don't know what God has called me to do, uh, what God has called me to be, and we're going to explore that a little bit. But my question for you this morning is, what do you think your calling is? Some of you might know, uh, but some of you might not. But if you do know what your calling is and what God is calling you to do, how have you been living it out? Uh, how have you been expressing it in your own life? 
So hear this, your calling as you're trying to discover it, uh, your calling will never contradict with who God is. Uh, it will never contradict who God has called you to be as a son and a daughter of God. Furthermore, it will never call you a way to love God less or to love others less. And so when you understand your, your calling, uh, when you understand what God has called you to live out, you live it out, you live out this calling, whether uh, as a single man or a single woman, uh, you live it out at your work and at your school, you, you live it out. Uh, the way you live it out makes you a better person because that's who God has called you to be. And that's how he's made you to be. It makes you into a better husband, a better wife. Uh, living out your God-given calling uh, is where you discover your purpose. And out of that purpose, you receive this joy uh, and this love. So being obedient to God and living out your calling, I would argue this, and I think what this is what Paul is saying here, is really the only thing that matters in life. Living out the calling, hear it again, living out the calling that God has placed on you is the most important thing you could be doing with your life because out of that, goodness flows. Out of that, everything else flows. But let's just get a little bit more specific here. Uh, what are we called to? And I want to share a quote from uh, John Mark Comer. He's a past pastor down at Bridgetown Church uh, in Portland. He's also the author of Garden City. And he says this about calling. The word vocatio, which is from where we get uh, vocation from, uh, can also be translated as voice. Man, that says a lot. Your vocation is your voice. The Quakers have a saying about calling that I love. Let your life speak. Finding your calling is about finding your voice. What cuts over all the din and drone of the other 70 billion plus people on earth, the tune and tone that only you can bring to the table. Calling isn't something you choose, like who you marry or what house you buy or what car you buy or what car you buy. Something, it's something you unearth. You excavate, you dig out and you discover. We usually ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wonder if we're setting them up for failure with that question. Maybe a better question is, who are you? Who are you? What do you think God made you to do when you grow up? That, my friends, is the question. Who are we? How are we hardwired by our maker? So part of discovering our calling is understanding who God has wired us to be, who God has made us to be, and, and how God has called us uh, to live out uh, our, our faith. And he later goes on by, by saying that, and when we discover our calling, that is where we find our joy, that is where we find our love, and that is the best place for us to be. So this morning, no matter where you might find yourself or how you understand your calling, uh, there are similarities, though, for us to understand uh, from the gospel. Uh, there are similarities to our calling that we understand from the letter to the Romans here this morning. And I want to say some of the similarities, whether it's lived out as whatever you do as your vocation or your work, that there's a commonality in terms of understanding uh, how God has called you to be. And firstly, it comes to this, that we're called to be priests. You're like, what? You know, how, how does that make sense? Like, what do you mean we're all called to be priests? For one thing, I'm a woman, so how can I be a priest? You know, okay, hear me out. Uh, let's read the scriptures and we'll see what, what uh, the Apostle Paul says in this. Verse 15, he says, Yet I've writ written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul goes on here to say more or less 
uh, that he hasn't told the Romans uh, anything, the Roman church, anything, uh, anything that they haven't already heard already. Uh, everything we have talked about in the last 14, 15 chapters, again, it's not new to the Roman Christians. They already know this. Uh, they're already living it out. They're already, already full of knowledge and goodness of God because uh, God has filled them with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I love that, how he encourages the church in that way. But notice what Paul says about himself here, uh, what he calls himself. He calls himself a minister and he calls himself a priest, a minister and a priest. He calls himself a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, and he has a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. And we, we, like, we like to think of Paul in this way, right? He's a hero of the faith. Uh, he's done great things. God has rescued him. Uh, he was on the road to Damascus as Saul, and God, God, Jesus blinded him uh, for three days, and Jesus spoke to him specifically. That was a very uh, uh, magnificent uh, picture we have of a calling uh, of God reaching down, that his salvation story sounds pretty amazing. So we make him out to be this hero of the faith, uh, this uh, leader of the faith. And, and he is, he, he is an apostle and he is a, a leader in the faith. But I want to encourage us that as Christians, we all have a calling and that just as how the apostle Paul, his salvation story is amazing. So is your salvation story, no matter what it is. Your salvation story, every story of someone coming to Christ is a, a magnificent story. It's a significant story. Even the one that you don't know that God is writing about you right now, that's being written in the unseen places. Uh, it's part of this amazing story of God. And in the same way, everything that applies to Paul, as he's writing about himself, as he's writing to Christians, everything that's written about Paul and to other Christians also applies to us here today to LLC, to our church, to our men and women here that are listening in, uh, that applies to us. And so you are called to be a minister, uh, a minister of the gospel. And there's an idea of uh, public service, that you're to be an, an example in, in the public space, a pub, to be a public figure for, for Christ. But what I want to focus on is that, uh, that on the priesthood, that you're also called to be a priest, just like how Paul was bold in his ministry and he was gracious in his ministry. We see that there's boldness, there's grace, uh, there's grace. Uh, we're also called to be priestly uh, in our ministry in the way that we interact with people in the world. And some of you think are thinking, how can that be? Uh, isn't that reserved for people like say you, you meaning me, <laughs> you're looking at me right now. Like, isn't that for you? Like as a pastor of a church, you know, uh, before you get too worked up about it. Okay. I'm not calling you into the monastery. Uh, I think there's something good here that we hear from, from Paul. Uh, see when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in the temple that there's no more separation between us and God. That there's nothing separating us from God and him that we can have this relationship with God and God has given us God has given you uh, access uh, to him to the king of the universe to to the Lord on the throne so we under from that we understand what it means to be a priest and some of you listening in uh, this morning come from a Catholic background and you understand that as, as a priest that you know priest meant to be a mediary uh, you mediate uh, between you and uh, between uh, the other people and God, that the priest stands in the middle uh, to mediate uh, between uh, God and man. But again, I just mentioned that the veil has been torn and that uh, we have a high priest now, and his name is Jesus, that he is the one that we're able to go to God uh, to. So it's through the person of Jesus, who is our high priest, we can go to God directly. So we don't need someone else uh, in order to hear God. You can hear God as a Christian because you have the spirit 
and you can go to him directly. But there's something else that priests do. And what priests do is they bring up offering to the altar. Uh, that priests bring up this offering to the altar, whether it's back in the Old Testament, it's, it's sacrificed animals. But here in the New Testament, as we live out as New Testament Christians, we understand that as priests, we are meant to bring up, uh, bring out an offering as well. Uh, we remember in Romans 12, 1, uh, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper uh, worship. So we understand that as priests, our first offering is ourselves, that we, we're to offer ourselves to God. That is your first calling, is that we're to offer ourselves to God and, and offer ourselves as a sacrifice. But as priests, there's also something else that we are meant to offer. Uh, Paul has this priestly duty of proclaiming that gospel. What in this passage, uh, what do we read? So that, uh, that, so that the Gentiles in verse 16 might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So first we offer ourselves. Uh, then we're to offer up people around us. Now, before you go around tying, you know, people up and, you know, offering them up in that way, I think there's another way of us understanding that, uh, we're not just meant to be living sacrifices ourselves and make offerings to God, but this is, um, uh, as we offer up other people, there's an understanding here that we live life preparing other people to be presented to God, that we dedicate our lives to prepare people around us to be acceptable to God, uh, to be, uh, uh, to, to bring them before God. That is our work as Christians. That is your calling to bring the men and women around you, the people in your school, at your work, in your family, to bring them to God and have them be an acceptable uh, offering to God. Imagine how beautiful a picture that is, right? Uh, if we live this out, uh, how we become part of the work of making people acceptable, again, no matter the context that you find, that you don't need to be called a pastor. You don't need to have an official position in the church because, again, there's no second-tier Christian that we're all called to this. That whoever you find yourself surrounded by, those are the people that you're called to pastor too, uh, that you called to be a priest too, that you called to care for. Uh, I love how Andy Stanley puts it. Uh, he says this, especially in the family, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do, but someone you raise. I know he's talking about parenthood, but I think that applies across the board to other people as well. It might not be something you do, but it might be about the people around you that you impact. How would it change your worldview as you walk around this world uh, as a priest, uh, not mediating per se, but preparing people to be acceptable and presentable uh, to God. And this might be something you're doing already uh, in the church, in your discipleship, as you lead people in fellowship, as you're leading your life group, uh, whatever that might look like. Uh, but you're called to do this as well, no matter where you find yourself. But here's another question, though, that Apostle Paul tackles is that let's dig a little bit deeper. What does it mean that someone is acceptable to God? Uh, what does it mean? Uh, how do we know when someone is acceptable or presentable to God? And we get a hint in the next uh, past set of verses that we, we know that an offering is acceptable when there is obedience. So I want to say this, the second part of understanding our calling is that we're called to be instruments. And what do I mean by this is instruments to help people to be obedient to God. So verse, verse 17 continues, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me 
in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So through Jerusalem, all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So the goal, as the Apostle Paul says, is we're instruments of God, uh, and I'll explain that a little bit more later, uh, is the goal here as we bring people that are acceptable to Jesus, acceptable, acceptable to God. The goal is to bring Gentiles, uh, people all around us to obedience. Remember Romans 1.5 all the way back uh, 15 weeks ago, or however long ago, uh, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So it's through uh, the grace and apostleship that, uh, that the apostle Paul has received. He understands that he's to bring people to obedience. That's how we know they become accept acceptable to God. What else is important here in this passage is that the apostle Paul is saying, it's not him doing it, but it's through him. It's through him right in the middle of verse 18 there that what Christ has accomplished, it's, it's through him. It isn't Paul accomplishing it himself. Uh, people becoming obedient to God is not because of Paul's doing, uh, but it's through it's through Paul. It's not because of Paul, but it uh, and it doesn't come from Paul himself because Jesus is the source. Uh, Jesus is the source. Uh, he is the light. But here's the thing: when we get our calling wrong, when we don't understand our calling, uh, when we think uh, we know we, we we're not getting our calling right, when we think it's all about us. Uh, when we think we're the one that's solving the problem, uh, that God is the one that needs us and that we're the hero of the story and Jesus isn't the story, uh, a hero of the story anymore. So we find ourselves uh, uh, stealing God's glory. But here we understand that we're instruments of God. Our calling is to be an instrument that's through us that, 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 uh, that, that um, God's gospel is, is proclaimed. That, so we find our calling when we learn to deflect glory. That good leaders, uh, good Christians, uh, uh, godly Christians understand that we're meant to deflect glory from ourselves towards Jesus because Jesus is the only one who is worthy. As we read in the corporate reading time, as we sang about in our worship song time, uh, that it all starts with Christ. That Christ is the source of everything, that Jesus is the light. And we find our calling in places where we deflect the most glory to Jesus. That is the place that we find our calling where we are able to deflect the most glory to Jesus. Uh, yet, uh, just like Paul, we, again, we're, we're, we're instruments that Jesus is the light. And maybe we can use the illustration that we are the mirror that reflects the light. We don't generate any light ourselves, but it is God who generates the light and reflects it uh, through us or uh, from us. Uh, so we learn here that God does use people. If you're ever wondering, does God ever use people to do his will? Yes, he does. Uh, that God uses people to do his will. God uses Christians to do his will. God uses you to accomplish his will. God does use people for his glory, that you have a part in the kingdom. Now, it doesn't come from you again, but God does choose to use you. Just like here in Apostle Paul, we learn that's through the Apostle Paul. God is also using you. It's going to be through you to accomplish his glory and to fulfill your, your calling and to proclaim the gospel. Now, how does this work? Because how are we to understand this? Well, it, again, it starts with Christ, then it's through Paul, and it comes through in what way? How are we to understand this? Well, it comes through us by word and by deed. Uh, so we need to use words, uh, not just words, but we also need to use deeds as well. 
that uh, here in the passage, uh, Apostle Paul says, God was able to do this through me by what? By what I have said and what I have done. So there is a works uh, aspect of it, that there is an, a working towards, a working of the gospel and also a, a preaching, a proclaiming, an explanation of the gospel. And also is also by signs and wonders. So these deeds sometimes are, are sometimes feeling ordinary, but sometimes it's by signs and wonders. I might be miraculous that we're part of this, this miraculous work of, of God. But all of it is also through the power of the spirit of God, that as you're, as you're, as you're speaking and sharing your faith, as you're doing, uh, working out your faith, as you're performing uh, the miracles of God and doing amazing things in his name, that's also all through the power of the spirit. And I love this because it's also through the power of the spirit. It's not only uh, from Jesus, uh, Paul is connecting the idea of the spirit of God with Jesus, that they're on parallel, they're equal, uh, uh, they're on the same, same, same level, that we receive our work, uh, our work indeed, and we receive our power from Jesus, but also from the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the language here, we understand that, that, like, that God is the source for us. The Trinity, if you noticed, you picked that up there, that it's through the Trinity, through God the Father, Jesus the Son, and through the power of the Spirit that we are empowered to live out our faith uh, in, in this world and to live out our calling, that we are called to be instruments. And all of this, all, all of this is meant to bring people into faith, uh, into obedience around us, that God shines and uses us as an instrument to bring people around us into obedience to God. So what's been the result uh, of this? Uh, what's been the result of Christ uh, being a source to Paul and Paul being an instrument? Well, we, we go back to that passage. We, we see that uh, at the end here, we see that so from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of God. I'm like, wow, that's really quite something because I'm like, I'm not sure if Vancouver is fully proclaimed here. And Paul, in such a short time, <laughs> you're able to fully proclaim the gospel of God. How are we to understand this? Actually, in fact, later in verse 23, he even says this, uh, that, but now that there is no place, no more work for me uh, to work in these regions, since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I also go to Spain. So, so he's saying here that there's no more work for him. Uh, there's nothing else for him to do. How are we to understand this? Because to be honest, to give you a little bit of a map, it's, it's quite a bit of work. Like the, the circle in the bottom right here, that's Jerusalem. He traveled all the way to Illyricum, which is the top left corner. All that way, he's been proclaiming the gospel. Uh, Illyricum is modern-day Croatia, if you've been there. Uh, so he's walked all that way proclaiming the gospel, and he's saying, is he being boastful? Like, hey, there's no more work for me here. Uh, there's nothing else for me to do. Everything is said and done, and the gospel has been fully proclaimed. How are we to understand this? Well, I think Paul understands his calling again. He understands uh, where God has placed him to be. Uh, Paul is called to preach where Christ is not yet known. We've read that before. That, that's exactly the place where God has called him to be, a place where he's not yet known, that he's called to be pushing the boundaries as a missionary in a place where the gospel has never been proclaimed. So he's not building off of other people's foundations, but he goes and he proclaims where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed. And he sets up churches and plants churches and raises up local leaders and local pastors to care. And then he goes on. So it's not that he's saying that there's no more work uh, for the sake of the kingdom. But he's saying his work is done as an apostle, apostle to proclaim the work where there hasn't uh, been work done yet. But we understand this because uh, we're able to say this because Paul understands his ambition 
and understand his God-given ambition. And I think there's a third and final point here is that we're called to have an ambition. So you're called to be priests. You're called to care for the people around you, prepare them for God. You're called to be an instrument where we receive God's glory and we shine his, his power and his glory through us into the world and proclaim the gospel. But we're also called to have an ambition. Uh, and this is where Paul understands his work. He says this in verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been known, was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And as we're nearing the end this morning, I want to say this, that it's good to have ambition. More than that, it's good to have a holy ambition as Paul does here. It's good to have a holy ambition. It was Paul's ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not yet known. That might not be for you, but that was Paul's ambition. That was the calling that he has, specific calling that he has received from God. He knew he wasn't to build on someone else's foundation, but he's going to build up the foundation as God has called him to. So what is a good and godly ambition, as you might be wondering for yourself? Well, firstly, I think a good and godly ambition lifts up Jesus, that that was Paul's ambition. Remember that it was for the sake of the gospel that he is doing what he is doing, that it is because of the gospel uh, that he is proclaiming, that he is doing all of this. He, in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything, anything except what Christ has done. That's all about God and his glory. We know we have a good and holy and godly ambition when it's to lift up Jesus. It's all about Jesus and it's all about depending on the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with getting attention to myself or bringing myself more glory or more money or more fame. It has to do with Jesus. Second of all, good and godly ambition is formed by the word. Uh, what do I mean by this? Notice what Paul says in verse 21. Uh, so he says this, so that I would not build, build on someone else's foundation, but he says this, rather as it is written, those who are, and he quotes a passage here from Isaiah 52, 15. A good and godly ambition is formed by the word. Today, if 2020 has been tough for you and has been for many of us, if it has thrown you into a world, if 2020 has thrown your life out of whack or something has been going on and you don't know what to do about it and you don't know if life is really worth it anymore, I think we can look to scripture to find our purpose and our understanding. If you're looking for purpose, if you're trying to understand what you're meant to do with your life, if you're looking for a good and holy ambition, I think from here, we learn from the apostle Paul, it's good to start with scripture. What I find amazing here is that he could have said, this is my ambition because I met Jesus on a Damascus, on the road to Damascus, because Jesus did this. Jesus did that. I can share my test. He could have shared his testimony in verse 21 onwards, but he doesn't. What he does is quote scripture. And that is amazing and, and, and profound to me because Paul's ambition was not formed by an experience, but is formed on the very word of God. That is where he drew his ambition from, that it was the word of God. So Paul justifies his ambition by quoting scripture. And we're not saying we're not meant to have experiences, that we're not meant to you know, look to how God is working in our lives. But we see here that this passage was what took hold of Paul. This passage captivated him. This passage took hold of him. And maybe for you this morning, as you're reading through scripture, 
as you're reading through and encountering word of God, you, God has taken hold of you by a certain verse, by a certain passage, maybe during your devotions. I don't know what it is, but hold on to that because out of that reading, out of the passages that holds your, 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 uh, holds your imagination, that holds your attention, maybe that's where your calling is. And uh, as out of those passages that speak to you the most, maybe that is where your calling is. Maybe that's how God is speaking to you because that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, and if you know my story in terms of being called to ministry, I'm not telling everyone needs to be a pastor because we don't all need pastors in the world, uh, but we do as Christians all have calling and maybe it is through the word that God is going to call you. So pay attention to that because for me, it definitely was through a certain specific passage that God spoke to me. It was at a conference. It's through preaching of the book of Ephesians and I was captivated and, and held. Uh, my attention was held from Ephesians one to four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And what was enough for me to catalyze my life and the rest of my life to serve him in this way was the simple word, for he chose us. That that was enough. It wasn't my story of experience of coming to Christ. It wasn't all the ways I've heard him in the world necessarily, but it's through this one scripture that captivated me that's become this keystone verse for me that has catapulted me into me living out my calling to the best way that I can. And I'm praying this morning, as you find your calling, as you find out what it means to follow God, that you will find out your calling as well. But pay attention to him. Pay attention to how he is speaking. And I pray that he would have a calling for you because he does have a calling for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you call us to be men and women of the word, that you don't leave us to our own ways, God, that you call us to have purpose, um, to be priests in this world, to, 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 to bring people to you, to prepare people around us uh, and to bring them to God. That you call us to be instruments, God, that is not us shining, God, but it's you shining through us. That we don't need to generate the ideas. We don't need to generate the plans. We don't need to generate the strength, but you use us to do your will and your glory. And lastly, God, you call us, Lord, to have a, an ambition, an ambition, so I pray, God, for everyone here that you would give us a holy ambition. It doesn't matter if we're starting off on our faith or refine us in our retirement years. God, you have a purpose and an ambition for us. So God, I pray that you would plant that in our hearts and you would speak to us through scripture, that we would fall so deeply in love with your word, that you would guide us every day by it, and that we would live out this calling that you have for us so that you will receive glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.